0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Genomics Lab podcast, the podcast about current research in the field of genomics.
1: We are your hosts, Eleanor Watson and Olivia Grant, two PhD students in the genomics group at the University of Essex.
0: Join us as we speak to researchers in the field about their current research and their journey into genomics. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the genomics lab hello um so this week ellie has made us um a purchase which um (laughs) i'm really excited about she's bought us some mugs and me and ellie would just like to start off today's episode by just letting you all know that we have a new catchphrase which we do on wednesdays we listen to the genomics lab
1: (laughs) so we cannot wait to start filming drinking from our mugs
0: yeah to say
1: on Wednesdays
0: we listen to <laughs> if you haven't watched Mean Girls you're not going to get that reference and you should watch it tonight as homework yeah I mean if you don't if you haven't watched Mean Girls like do we do we really like value your opinion anyway do we want you to no? listen exactly <laughs> yes we do please <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we have like a new catchphrase, which um, we love and we're waiting for our new mugs, which we're very excited we about. And but Ellie Ellie has had quite a disastrous week, haven't you Ellie? Tell us about your week.
1: I have had a disastrous week. I think actually it was the, I think it was the evening that I designed mm-hmm. those mugs. Actually, yeah. um, <laughs> I had a pretty rubbish day of working. Everything was just going wrong. And I thought, I'm going to go to the gym this evening. I didn't really want to go to the gym, did I? But I was like, this will make me feel good. So nine o'clock, I trundled down to the gym and uh, had a nice 20 kilo bar for whack me in the face and ended up in A&E all evening. Had to have my head glued up, got a nice black eye um, and got a sick note from the hospital saying, she can't do any work for one to two weeks. So that's been fun. I've tried to do a bit of work and nothing no, has no. happened. I've just felt sorry for myself all week.
0: I don't blame you. I feel sorry for you.
1: Yeah, um, I feel sorry for me.
0: You know, I, I can see Ellie right now and it looks pretty pretty bad. Oh, actually,
1: to be fair, the eye isn't quite as yellow.
0: You can't really that's see good. it. Right.
1: But it's definitely less
0: swollen, which is good. It is. The first day
1: I looked like I'd been stung by a bee or something and swelled up.
0: Yeah. Um, and just bee to, just to add to your bad week... Uh, neither of us got anywhere with our three-minute faces, <laughs> but I mean, we kind of knew we kind of knew that we wasn't gonna. Uh, yeah, that's not a
1: shock to us. That was not. more uh we entered because we had pledged to each other that we would. Yeah. Um. Next year, though, I think next year we've got this. We've got it in yeah. the bag.
0: I'm still really proud of us for entering. You
1: yeah, know? me too.
0: I'm proud of us because we we've done it. We did it. We did. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah. No, I'm proud of us. Uh, so yeah, that's been our week really. Black eyes, new mugs, and failures. <laughs> <laughs> let's, hope,
0: let's hope for a better week.
1: A better upcoming week.
0: <laughs> I'm praying for a better upcoming week, to be honest. I oh, also goodness. like thought it was I swear on my life it was bank holiday weekend this weekend and it's not. We've <laughs> got another oh, two weeks to go. I've just well, discovered on that, note, on that note, we are gonna be
1: uh, taking that bank holiday week off
0: mm-hmm yeah we will there'll day be day. no episode that week um so we've got one obviously this one and then next week's, and then there won't be one for another two weeks after that just because now the sun's coming out
1: places will be open you might find us you might find us in a restaurant somewhere
0: oh yes or just in the pub more likely just in the pub yeah that is <laughs> much more likely <laughs>
1: Although when we're outside, I won't, or when we're inside, I won't be able to wear sunglasses to cover up my
0: nice wounded eye. So we'll have to sit outside mm-hmm. anyway. Okay, we can go outside. <laughs> as long as it's not raining, I'll go outside. Amazing. Uh, so
1: yeah, it's a good, uh, good episode this week. Um, a little bit different because we've got two guests on, haven't we? Which is mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, so I did, a,
0: I did a poll on our Twitter and our Instagram actually about today's episode. Um, asking about how many people knew or know what um, ECC DNA is so that is extra chromosomal circular DNA which is always a tongue twister to me but do you know what I'm really surprised because like no one well not no one but like the majority of people didn't know what it didn't was know. we didn't know did we so, yeah so I mean I'm glad it's not just us that don't didn't know but we're all about to find out we are because so- we have two experts yeah. who are about to teach us
1: so we hope you enjoy today's episode yep and we'll see you next week well we'll see you in a minute Bye.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Genomics Lab. To today's episode we are talking to uh, the Regenberg Lab um, from the University of Copenhagen who researched extra chromosomal circular DNA. I feel like that's a little bit of a tongue twister, extra (laughs) chromosomal circular DNA. Um, So we're really excited about today's episode. Ellie, I feel like we've said this on the last couple of episodes, but this what, that again, we're really excited. <laughs> no, that this again is another topic that we haven't really heard much about.
1: Yeah, not our area of expertise, which is great. It's exciting about a lot of
0: stuff recently, don't we? <laughs> we do. <laughs> so, hi guys, thank you so much for joining us. really nice to have you.
2: Thanks for having us on.
0: Yeah. No, no so, do you want to start with just giving us an introduction um, into your lab, who you are, and what you guys do?
3: Yeah, so on board, besides me, uh, I also have my postdoc, Sam Keating, on board. And we're going to talk about this extra-chromosomal circular DNA. So many of you listeners have probably not heard this term before. It seems to be a research field that you can explain to your neighbor and your, the children's school teachers and mm-hmm. the children's friends. Because, uh, so what I say is that mo- most of us know that what a chromosome is. It's a linear p- piece of... Um, DNA material in uh, in the nucleus, and uh, opposed to the linear, the circular DNA is kind of a, a round thing. So this is DNA that popped out of the chromosome and formed a circle. Right. Yeah. It it, it has many of the same traits as the chromosomes, but some of the traits are different, and it tends not to behave like a chromosome. And because it misbehaves, it causes other great advantage to the cell. Or at disadvantage to the organism that can carry such a cell with a circle,
0: where in I mean I'm assuming it's in the nucleus. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, we yeah. don't
3: quite know. Okay. Um, it is. We know that it's tra- it's in many cases it's transcribed and, and and the gene yeah. product is the, uh, translated. Mm-hmm. So uh, this means it must be in the nucleus, but we don't know if all of the D- DNA is in the nucleus. There, some, so the nucleus can actually make some small nuclei where they where they um, keep circular DNA. That happens in cancer, but we don't know how common that is, mm-hmm. and we don't know if the circular DNA is secreted. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the cell somehow knows. Maybe the we know the yeast cell can distinguish circles and. A year cell divides asymmetrically, so there's a mother and a daughter, and the mother can divide 30 times, and then she can't divide anymore, so she eventually dies and, or ceases to grow. And this is actually because of circular DNA. So the mother cell accumulates the circles, and the mother cell can do so by retaining the circles in the butt neck to the daughter. So that she doesn't give the circle on to the daughter most of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we know they are... Yeah. The nucle- we can't... You know, there's so much we don't know. There's yeah. There's so much... There's so much to look into.
0: Yeah. That, well, that's exciting, right? I mean, yeah. that's, it's always nice to have loads of questions left to answer. Yeah, yeah. So sure. How, how does the... Like, how does it pop off with the chromosome? Like, do you know how these actually... Like, what causes them to actually form? Uh,
3: so we have some ideas about it. So we... so. So we think that our studies have shown that any part of the genome can circularize. It looks as if uh, if you have if you have regions with high transcriptional activity, there are more circles forming.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So we don't know why that is right now. No, exactly why that is, yep. we speculate that any double-strand break can lead to a circle. And that whatever repair me- mechanism is present at that time in that cell. So if it's in, uh, it, if it's in mitotic cells, we expect homologous recombination, like uh, ends that are uh, homologous to recombine, and then that's the mechanism. And we've seen that recurrently, and I've shown that myself mm-hmm. uh, that homologous recombination is the mechanism for some circles in yeast, but in human cells and, and animal, many animal cells, it looks as if not a and, and non-homologous end joining takes place. So it just means that the ends are stitched together. Mm-hmm. And what is left on the chromosome is that the ends, you have a deletion, but this is probably not the only way they're formed. There are other models, but we they haven't been pr- really proven, I would say. Mm-hmm. So this is also something we'd like to look into because yeah. it would, Be not. It would like in order to. um, In order to uh, prevent circular DNA, if that's what we want to do, or live lives where we don't create so much circular DNA, or if we know that we're exposed to making more circular DNA and that might somehow be harmful, we need to understand how they form. We need to understand the environmental factors, and we need to understand the molecular factors. Mm So
0: you were just saying about like, it's important for us to know how they form. So my question is like, if I don't know, like absolute, like let's say there wasn't, like there's never an end goal to research, right? Really is because like I said, there's always another question that comes up and something, you know, but let's say there was an end goal to like your research. Would you say that the end goal is to prevent uh, extra chromosomal circular DNA forming or is it to just somehow intervene with, how it causes things like cancer, what would you say is more important? Does that make
3: sense, that question? Uh, yeah, so I'm a real, si- I'm i am just a science nerd. So for me, <laughs> I mean, I'm a geneticist, I work with yeast, I'm a real nerd. Nothing, I mean, <laughs> for me. <laughs> so yes, the end goal post-clinic would be to remove uh, cells with circular DNA. I don't think we can remove the circles from the tumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we need to somehow f- development mechanism, but in if we understand so, an applied angle is to understand uh, the molecular mechanisms uh, by working with model organisms like yeast and cancer cell lines, and and, and cre- creating artificial circles and 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 like find out how does the how does the uh, cell tackle these uh, circles? How do they create them? And uh, what are the molecular mechanism? And then when knowing that we can target it, uh, pharmaceutically,
4: mm-hmm.
3: at least that's, that could be one goal. Yeah. The end goal yeah. could be to remove cells that create, that carry circular DNA, at least, uh, from a medical point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. It's really interesting. Um, it's definitely something like I mentioned that I haven't heard of, and now, I, now I've heard of it. I'm a little bit like, oh, how have I never heard of this before? It was a little bit Ellie, do you remember that conversation that we had about gene conflict? Yeah. It was one of those things I was like, how have I not heard about this? So is this like quite, is it quite a niche field or is it quite like, are there many people Mm -hmm. sort of researching this? How new is, is the field?
3: Uh, Yeah, maybe uh, we should say a little bit about the history of the field. So it was quite a, a strong field in, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. It was discovered, circular DNA was discovered in, in the 60s. Uh, <clears throat> when when it was purified from a various tissue and then looked at in electron microscopy. So their small <clears throat> polydispersed circular DNA was found, it was called uh, polydispersed DNA. But, and and then at the same time it was found with, without knowing it that it was also circular, these double minutes in tumors when when the, there was a meter when you make a metaphase phase spread in tumors, you often see multiple chromosomes and small double dots. So DNA that has replicated and, but are very small and they're called double minutes. Um, yeah, but I think Sam wants to say something. So why, why did it kind of die you think?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think from what I can tell it, it seems like the field suffered really from a, a technological bottleneck at the time. So there weren't really reliable methods to properly characterize circular DNA. There were methods used to detect it, but we, we well, the, the field wasn't able to really understand so much about the biology of it at the time. So I think since the development of, of whole genome sequencing methods, um, this has more recently allowed us and others to begin to understand the origins, the structural composition, as well as the biological importance of the, of the circular DNA. And so this includes not only methods to purify circular DNA um, and, and to amplify it and, and sequence it, uh, which, which uh, Begitta's lab has, has pioneered and recently optimized, but also bioinformatics methods uh, that are used to map circular DNA, um, such as the circle, circle map method, which was is, which is also developed by, by Begitter's lab. Um, so, this, this technological revolution has really allowed us to gain insight into the, the diversity and abundance of circular DNA, uh, and now allows us to draw connections between the circular DNA and, and disease phenotypes. Um, for, exa- for example, we can see the potential for circular DNA to possibly explain certain aspects of, of cancer, and that's, that's one of the things that we're, that we're working on, as well as many others in the field. Um, and so... It's my opinion that we're now on the verge of a golden age in circular DNA discovery. And this is exemplified by large grants, uh, such as those that are offered by by Grand Cancer Challenges, which is an NIH and Cancer Research UK uh, joint joint venture, um, where extra chromosomal DNA is, is actually considered one of the major challenges to, to cancer treatment at the moment.
3: You also ask something, is it a small field? Uh, and yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a small field, but it's growing because, because of the technologies that Sam and the Discovery Science told about. But I think people in the field are also really good at at uh, communicating and 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 helping each other. We met last year in Berlin for our first conference, and uh, and that gave us the opportunity for the for the the dozen of groups that work to 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 hear each other's research and Communicate, and uh, that was just before the COVID lockdown. So, <laughs> the last conference, we uh, so mo- I think some of the most important groups, uh, are groups that work in, in, in ye- with yeast. And um, what we found initially is that we found a few circles and uh, uh. They can sometimes provide a growth advantage in yeast, and it's been studied how they're inherited, how they're kept back, how they can uh, lead to aging in yeast. Uh, but then, in uh, then around 2017, a few, uh, some groups in the United States, Bolmatio uh, at University of California and Hag from Jackson Lab, and they um, they came up with the finding that. Um, extra-chromosomal circular DNA is much more common than than in, in in cancer that it was sought before. And we, at the same time, f- looked at healthy tissue in humans, as well as did another uh, group uh, in the United States, and India Dudas' lab. So at DODAS and our lab, we found that uh, this circular DNA, it can also be isolated from human cells. Um, so, this puts so it tells us two things. It tells us that when circular DNA provides a disadvantage or leads to cancer, so, tells us that circular DNA can lead to cancer and provide a disadvantage to the multicellular organism. But it also tells us that most circles probably don't have an effect on phenotype because otherwise we wouldn't find it healthy tissue.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting. So
1: Obviously, we, just because we haven't heard very much about it, we assumed it's quite a small field, but that's obviously not the case at all. And I find it quite interesting how you said that research has moved on um, because of this sort of bottleneck, you know, that it was very well studied and then not so much and now again. So maybe you can talk to us about some of like the, the real world implications of this research, maybe to help uh, listeners understand why it's so important.
2: So I think there's there's a number of real-world implications for this research. Um, And this ranges, like Begitta was saying, from human disease, but all the way through to evolution. Um, But first, to to study circular DNA and to use it as a marker of disease, we we need to further develop these technologies that we're talking about. Um, So to this end, we we actually lead an international consortium called Circular Vision, which is an EU-funded project as well as uh, as well as projects funded by the Danish Innovation Foundation one, um, and the main one is called care DNA that we're working on. And these aim to explore new opportunities that circular DNA create for, for instance, early diagnosis um, screening and monitoring of, of human disease sp- again specifically cancer and we're also looking at inflammatory bowel disease in the same context um, and so to achieve these objectives. Circular Vision actually uh, gathers key pioneers in the field of circular DNA uh, with leading experts, bioinformaticians, as well as key commercial players in cytometry and genomics. And so the idea is that we can can advance these these technologies to potentially be able to be used in the clinic. Um, And this builds on a a solid platform that that Bagheera's group, as well as a few other groups, have, have really pioneered. Like I mentioned before, the the circle map techniques, circle seek is a, another protocol that we use. But our, other groups have also got got their own ones that that have certain advantages and disadvantages for detecting circular DNA. And so that's that's one of the main real world implications that I that I see for it is, is trying to take the knowledge that we've gained and and the advanced technologies into the clinic. Um, but like I said, there's there's also implications for for other aspects of, of biology. Vigita touched on this when she when she mentioned yeast, and I'll, I'll probably throw back over to her now because she can she can tell you a fair bit more about that.
3: So we know from yeast, and we've worked on this that circular DNA causes aging, and I think I just mentioned that before. So by accumulating circular DNA, uh, the DNA metabolism, protein uh, metabolism. Um, it's obstructed because there are so many circles with the same gene on, it's the RNA gene. So this uh, the nucleus grows, the the whole cell grows and eventually they stop dividing. But we don't know if this is the same in uh, in animals and human. So at the moment to understand this, we we are creating an atlas uh, across organs and tissue in mice. and, And then we look at the mice at different ages to discover if there's some kind of connection between circular DNA and aging, besides what we know already know about cancer. And then we might get more insight. And then maybe I would have another answer to you in a year, two years time, what we would like to look into, because maybe there are other disorders that are linked to circular DNA, or maybe at least linked to DNA damage that we can record as circular DNA. Yeah. Um, yeah so so uh, in the lab what we also do and what I love someone once said to me evolutionary biology you should do that when you get old that's what, old- <laughs> <laughs> that's what scientists do when they, <laughs> when they get old but okay i'm I, I'm, get, I'm getting older but um, i mean working with circular dna we ask ourselves is it also in the germline is it carried in the sperm and the oocytes and how does that affect next generation. And Mm. what happens when in the germline the circle reinserts into the um, chromosome? Does it change the chromosome structure or or like the gene order so much that in the next generation you can't um, form viable offspring? Um, Yeah, so we're looking into integration rates, what happened, how, uh, yeah, what are the what are the consequences when circles reinsert into the chromosome? So I have a, a few, they're quite fun, the guys that are working on this. They have identical t-shirts and uh, <laughs> they have a lot of fun together. What's um, on the t-shirts? Uh, yeah, so they work with yeast because evolutionary biology is uh, easiest than yeast. And they are the only people working with yeast right now in the lab. So they have uh, yeasty, they have a t-shirt with two yeast on that are very similar to their own appearance. And it's a yeah. <laughs> that is
0: brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. So I think they have a good time. Uh yeah. And then of course, finally, like I said, uh, we don't so we really, really like to 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 investigate like and understand the molecular factors that are causing and maintaining circular DNA in 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 yeast and human. They're so probably so similar that we can use yeast as a model there so we could eventually understand the biology of circular dna and then develop strategies like you know from the applied point of view
4: mm-hmm.
3: which is also what the industry is interested
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's really good so obviously um you're saying about people say don't get into evolutionary until you get old
0: <laughs> so do you your not old t- yet, by the way you're not old oh yeah I don't
3: know what is old I don't know
0: 53
3: (laughs) (laughs) no not at all I was just saying would you like
1: to take us a little bit on your research journey Uh, yeah yeah. you to this
3: point because yeah yeah yeah. so so yeah
0: yeah you also explain like um because normally we don't actually have two guests and I feel like we just kind of like brushed over it we just kind of didn't really mention so yeah if you both could just like introduce yourselves individually and then Ellie like um like Ellie said sorry just yeah, your sort of your academic journey up until now.
3: Yeah, so maybe I can start from the end, yep. uh, which is where Sam comes into the picture. So he's postdoc in my lab, and and Sam, do you want to say a little bit about how you you got into the lab?
2: Yeah. Okay. So my um my research journey, so to speak, uh, started in human epigenetics, mostly in diabetic vascular complications. Um. <clears throat> I, uh, I earned my PhD in the lab of Asama Loster, who's a, a bit of a pioneer in, in epigenetic memory. Um, at the time, we were located at the Baker Institute in Melbourne, um, and I primarily worked on an epigenetic enzyme. Is that
0: enzyme. where you get your accent from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so I, I mostly worked on a, an enzyme called set 7 which is a, an epigenetic enzyme. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. It's a methyltransferase. Um, I then spent some time in Helsinki, uh, which was funded by an Australian Endeavour Research Fellowship, um, and I was working with Per Henrik Group there on type 1 diabetes. Um, but what, what I really took away from there was, was learning a lot about clinical samples and also how to work with um, immune cells from blood, um, which, was, which was important for my next step, because at that point I decided I wasn't going to go back to Australia, and I pursued a postdoc in the lab of, of uh, Niels Rickson at Radboud UMC in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. And we, we collaborated closely with a, a really inspiring scientist named Mihai Natia. And together we worked on the epigenetics of trained immunity, which is a, a type of recently characterized innate immune memory, which, uh, which Mihai actually discovered. Um, and so remember that I mentioned set seven, uh, in my postdoc, I actually uh, was able to show that SET7, in fact, is a, is a key regulator of the epigenetic memory associated with trained immunity. So that sort of completed that, that circle, so to speak. And uh, so on the topic of circles, you're probably sort of wondering how I fit into, into Begitta's lab. So I moved from the Netherlands to Copenhagen with my wife and, and I actually applied to join Begitta's lab because I like to just do really interesting and cool Biology, really. And I, I was... Um,
0: You're both nuts. girl nuts.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, Begitta was doing some really cutting edge and innovative science. And I thought this, is, this was a really cool place to work. So what I bring to the group is, is really the expertise in epigenetic regulation. And uh, as well as mechanisms to, to or ways to measure epigenetic changes you know, not only on the circular DNA, but also on the, the, um, on the genomic loci from which the circular D- DNA may be produced. And so I'm interested to understand how, how, it, how it differs between the, the original loci and, the, and then the circle, um, and how that changes under different physiological conditions, for instance, in, in cancer, under the metabolic changes associated with cancer. So I'm, what I'm really interested in, though, is, is the clinical applications of the, the circular DNA biology, as well as the technologies that, that we're developing and, and uh, how it can be used to measure circular DNA, for instance, in blood. This, this may be an interesting um, way to go in the future in terms of biomarkers. Um, so, but I'm also interested in how circular DNA might influence the immune system. Which really connects nicely with the work that I was doing in the Netherlands. Um so that, that sort of sums up how, you know, from my PhD to, to how I arrived here. Um and as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm heavily involved in the circular vision project. And uh and yeah, we're we're doing some some really interesting stuff. So um I'll throw back over to, to Begitter and she can tell you how she got into the field in the first place.
3: Uh, yeah, that was a big uh yeah, so I've, I've been around in my postdoc years, and then I came back to a tenure track position at University of Copenhagen. And I had some strains in, from yeast and I didn't really know. I, I didn't, I wanted to understand what genetic changes that undergone. So I went for research visits in 2009 to, to um, David Budstein's group, where also David Gresham worked in Princeton. And, and there I really found my first circle and at that time, there were like four or five circles known from yeast, and a handful, less than a handful, from human. So, at least with genes on, uh, and and not retrotransposons. So, it, this was really new, and this this circle was so cool because it kept popping out of the genome. So it kept popping out uh, recurrently, and we and I, I saw that. When the yeast cells they grew under nitrogen limitation, um, when there were no, when the limitations were limited for amino acids, they would then amplify the circles, and the ones that had a circle they survived, they survived better or they grew faster, so they had a selective advantage, which uh, led to the whole culture being full of circular DNA. So in many ways, this circle uh, resembled the circular DNA we find in tumors, but so I wrote the paper with David Gresham and uh, Botstein, and uh, I was happy, but pe- but my friends, they keep asking me if I didn't want to develop a whole genome screen for this because I, had all, I was already in genomics and they were in genomics. And so I thought about it and I didn't have the funding. And I thought that circular DA, oh, you have these few genes that we know, one of them causes aging. What more do we need to know? We can, you know, they've been described. But I took the challenge and I got a f- I got funded by the university uh, in, a f- in a free funding where I could look at what I wanted. And um, a gifted PhD student of mine, Henrik Møtler, he then developed together with me a method for genome-wide purification of circular DNA from yeast. And uh, he went, and I still collaborated with Princeton. And so he went back to Princeton and after a few weeks, uh, by sequencing and mapping, he went. He called me and he said, you know, there are thousands of circles in the samples, thousands of different circles. So was, it was just really a crazy uh, phone call because at one hand, I realized like, whoa, th- we're not talking six or seven circles, we're talking thousands, it's the probably the whole genome that can form circles. But it also kind of gave me the creep because I also have a genome. And if the yeast genome can form circles from anywhere, then the whole, the, the thought about this, the genome being stable, it wasn't there anymore. It was, uh, I mean, it was much more flexible than we had imagined at least at the time. So Hannah came back and then at this point we got a grant from the Willem Foundation to investigate if circular DNA was common in other organisms like human and birds. And we studied birds because uh, we worked with uh, Tom Gilbert, who's a was working with bird genomes at the time. And bird genomes are interesting because they have, they're smaller, they have fewer repeats compared to the human genomes. And what we found was we found circular DNA from human, from all over the genomes. And we found more in human genomes, uh, proportional to the size of the genome. And we found uh, that um, bird genomes that have less repeats, they also form less, they also form circular, uh, DNA in a proportion or uh, proportionally to the overall uh, repetitive content of the genomes. So, <clears throat> so we now saw that circles don't even, they don't form from just a few places uh, that we find in cancer or a few places through loci that we find in yeast. No, they can form from anywhere. And it's probably the selective pressure that decides the circles we have discovered before. So, Looking in human, we looked in healthy tissue in muscle tissue, and we found like ten thousand different. For every little sample, muscle sample from from the people, we, the individuals we studied, we found that in the size of a needle head, muscle tissue, we could find ten thousand different circles, many of which had whole genes on. So this was really new. So and this led to questions like. Uh, what do implications do these circles have uh, on cell biology and our physiology? And to what extent are they transcribed? And do they replicate? And do they accumulate to create bottlenecks in DNA metabolism? And if so, do the circular DNA cause aging related to disorders, such as neuronal degeneration? And if they do so, how do they do that? And, and with all those questions, I think my research opened up and it also led other people to look into the field, of course, together with what happened in the cancer field simultaneously. So this, I mean, I jumped from being a yeast geneticist to working with my, some of my best colleagues like uh, Henriette Pille, go next door on, and, and internationally um, to to look into what are the effects in, in all kinds of organisms uh, and Addressing the questions we talked about before. What are the real world problems? So that was kind of my journey. Um to where we are before.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Um did you guys like so for example, like when you were doing your PhD, did you see yourself like sort of like changing field a little bit? I guess you guys haven't really changed that much, but did you see that like sort of in your plan? Because like, I think if I stay in academia, like there's just no way anyone is dragging me away from epigenetics, but it's very common that people do kind of like move around. So I think I'm probably, may- maybe I'm wrong and I will do
3: something else. Uh, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm from a time when, I mean, I never thought I would be a scientist. I thought it was really, I thought it was so cool at the Carlsberg laboratory Mm-hmm. And I looked through the window sometimes when I passed by and said, oh, I want to work there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't I didn't even give it, I never noticed my grades. But then when I, I graduated, my grades were so good. So I got a scholarship from the university and I went to, uh, I could work at Carlsberg. And, but I didn't see myself as a scientist, but yeah. I stayed in the field because I got the grants every time. Like after my PhD, I... I I think I saw the genomics opening so that I work with yeast, it was at the time when everybody wanted to work with yeast, yeast was a great organism because we found so many new pathways we could explain aging and um, immortalization, we could explain the cell cycle, um, uh, endocytosis, many other things uh, from yeast, and it was was just a a field that grew, but Then funding disappeared when when other scientists or other fields started doing the same thing in, in 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 humans. So that's why I moved. I mean, but as a PhD student, I you know I did what I found was fun. Yeah,
2: I think I think it's um it's a little bit different in that I I'm also an epigeneticist like like you describe yourself. I uh, you know starting off in diabetes complications and then moving more into Immunology, and then now into yeah. cancer. You know that they're, they're, they're actually quite yeah. different, but there's there is the common thread of of gene regulation and, and genome regulation. Yeah. Um, and and you know, like like I said before about um, about uh, epigenetic memory is is something that really really inspires me. So mm-hmm. I can there, there are the commonalities across those fields, but I, I didn't yeah. expect to end up in the cancer field. Um, <laughs> Or to end up working on circular DNA, which I didn't know about 12 months ago. So <laughs>
3: maybe you can be able to link some of these things. Like right now, you work with cancer, but epigenetics too. And uh, yeah. we can find funding for things that are, where we can take advantage of m- more of his expertise. And you yeah, yeah, thought about what interests you and where the funding is, isn't it? I'm not here to survive. Yeah, because I think research is interesting. So, yeah, I want to do the interesting stuff. So I think about what circular DNA is, is what's the biology, what implication does it have? And, I mean, when we study cancer, it's also because it's a great model for evolution. Like, you can study evolution, and um, very, f- you can study how uh, the variation among cells, uh, can uh, lead some cells uh, to have a t- selective advantage, and then they mutate further, and they outgrow the population. So many of the p- principles that we're looking at, we can uh, also study that in cancer biology. So I think, um, no, I'm interested in a, a really, a, a different way for the genes and, or genetic information to be carried in the genome. And what does it do to the organism? And what opportunities does it provide to a gene when it's sitting on a circle? It mm, kind yeah. of becomes selfish, like because it has other opportunities. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean, yeah. That was a cool question though, or provocative. Pre- you were really provoking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I wanna touch on the like epigenetics bit a little bit later. Um, yeah because yeah, we always wanna talk about epigenetics. But, um, so my next question is, so you said there's like thousands of these circles. Are there any advantages to having these circles? Like, so for example, do can they exist and not promote tumorigenesis and perhaps have some benefits for the cell or is it just all bad? Are they just
3: always bad? Yeah. So. Yeah, so if you are in a unicellular organism, then a c- copy number variation, as I explained before, can be an advantage. So copy number variations from genes on circles. So yeast, for instance, it has, it, we find that uh, a hexose transporter gene is often carried on on circular DNA. And if you study, if you put yeast under glucose limitation, then it will provide a selective advantage if they can have extra copies of that particular gene. So, the first thing you see in the population is that the number of cells that carry a circle with this hexotransporter is increasing up to more than half of the cells. And then a- a- another subpopulation takes over. And that's a subpopulation in which it, there are more copies of this gene on the, on, on the chromosomes, maybe because the circles jump back in. So, but the first thing that happens, it seems to be a, a very quick, um, it's a quick fix to make a circle because it can easily, li- the the, the mis- segregation can easily um, pump up the number of genes, the, the, RNA, the RNA level and the pro- protein. So what we also, so this is, the, this is the this is the scenario in unicell organism, but if a yeast, if a cell does that, Inside our body, it can become a tumor cell, and then it's a disadvantage. And it's probably right in you know, somatic cells. It's probably never a an, ad, an advantage to have as as cells becoming so free of the social setting of you know
4: mm.
3: you you are you are now a pancreatic cell. You should not become <laughs> growing and forming a tumor because then it's a pancreatic tumor. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know the epigenetics. We didn't touch it. Do you want to talk about the the circles we find in 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 uh, tumors? Uh, because there's been a lot. So some of our one of our, our colleagues, uh, Peter, has studied that a lot together with the Peter. Sch- yeah. Yeah. Check sure, in. Let's go. Yeah.
2: yeah cool. <laughs> uh, Uh, What, what really interests me is the complexity of these circles right so you asked before how are they formed. And in the simplest in the simplest um, example it's if you have the double strand break and you have a piece of DNA cut out from the the chromosome, it can circularize and so that's a that's a pretty simple circle it's made from one piece of of DNA of linear DNA. So that's often what you see with smaller circles they can be quite simple and often originating from nucleosomal sized fragments and so in that sense it may be associated with apoptosis the larger circles uh, particularly those that contain full-length genes that we touched on before that that can be important for cancer can be highly complex and composed of many distinct chromosomal fragments and so some of these larger circles are in fact able to rearrange their regulatory elements, um, suggesting that there's a strong selection for certain combinations in cancer. And by regulatory elements, I mean enhancers, which I'm sure you, you know a bit about. Um, and these are, these are distal regions. So they're, they're a fair way away from the gene that they, that they regulate. They loop over to contact that gene promoter and regulate what is usually tissue-specific gene expression. So, uh, Begitter mentioned Peter Scaccheri, his lab published a, a what I think is an excellent paper in Cell in 2019, showing that neighboring enhancers co-amplify with oncogenes on circular DNA, and this is done in order to maintain the physical contacts that I just described that are p- normally present on the linear chromosome. In addition, circularization of these amplicons can actually lead to the additional incorporation incorporation of new enhancers to the circle, which support changes to the, the topological connections uh, with the oncogene, between the oncogene and, and enhancers. And this rewiring, which is essentially an epigenetic rewiring, contributes to the oncogene's effect on the cancer fitness. Right. So that that can actually explain why why some of these genes are much more highly expressed because they they incorporate highly active enhancers that aren't normally associated with that gene, right? And so that Peter showed this for the EGFR oncogene, and that's the the receptor for epidermal growth factor. So you can see how if that that gene is overexpressed, the cell might get a growth advantage, and this in some ways can partly explain the heterogeneity that that is seen in, in tumours and that all of the cells aren't, aren't the same. Some have copies of, of circles that are highly expressed. Um, in fact, this concept was originally proposed by by Jeffrey Vial in the, in the 80s. And so again, we, we're touching back to, you know, the field is a little bit older than, than people might appreciate. And some things were proposed and to some degree shown, but it was, it was difficult back then with the, the technological bottleneck that I described earlier. So we know that, that tumor cells acquire highly active enhancers at driver oncogenes. And normally oncogenes, they're normally limited by their immediate neighborhood of enhancers. So they're normally you know, regulated by the enhan- their, their endogenous enhancers, let's say, and they're limited by that. That's, uh, they're, they're insulated from other enhancers. Um, But that particular study by Peter's lab showed that oncogenes on circular DNA can, in fact, expand their repertoire of enhancers by incorporating active enhancers normally insulated from the oncogene, or by creating new regulatory connections. And so a separate paper, which was published last year in Nature Communications from uh, Richard Kosher and Anton Henson in Berlin, Describe how enhancers can in fact be hijacked from different parts of the genome and incorporated into a circle, and the example they showed was n which is another on- oncogene, um, and this determines the architecture of the circular amplicon in that in that case in neuroblastoma, and as I said before, can partly explain why genes on circles have higher expression than than would normally be expected, um, and so. You know a lot of a lot of the work that's been done on, on these enhancers for instance has, has characterized them in terms of H3K27 acetylation. Um, there's not much done on the other histone modifications yet. For instance H3K4 monomethylation which is also enriched at enhancers and that's something that that we and others are, are interested to characterize.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, now I'm not talking about adp genetics, but you might wonder how, why is it that recurrently we find the same gene, oncogene, together with the same um, enhancer, depending on what cancer we have. Is it like, is there some magical combination that will always come out? And and that's a key question. I mean, as biologists and evolutionary biologists, I like to think that it's random combinations. Maybe they're like, there might be, um, there might be uh, combinations that are more that form more frequently, but I mean, one hypothesis is definitely that it's it happens randomly. But then there's so strong selection so that those cells that get this combination they grow faster in the tumor, and have even a larger uh, chance of getting uh, incorporating more changes, and then eventually this is the vi- this is the winner combination and you see this winner combination recurrently over patients that have the same type of tumor so 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 that was just a little bit back to that
0: yeah it's really really cool um what you mentioned about like how they can form like new regulatory connections um do do you, like do we know anything about like i know you just mentioned obviously that it could potentially be run. but do we know anything about how they Form these new connections, uh, like what goes into making those connections, you know,
3: potentially a chromotripsis, which is the pulling apart of of, uh, which is the shattering of uh, chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and what happens prior to that is that the, the DNA, uh, degre- or the DNA damage that you find will in tumors will ultimately. Lead to dicentric chromosomes. So, chrom- I mean, in tumors, you can find things like dicentric chromosomes. So, this means that there are two centromeres on the same chromosome. And when that gets pulled apart uh, in mitosis, um, you can have shattering of, of DNA. Mm-hmm. That mm, there's some evidence that that might up- end up to circular DNA. Mm-hmm.
2: So the, the pieces can be put back in a in a much less ordered fashion, and and can rearrange the the pieces of the yeah. the chromosome, and some of them can end up on a circle.
3: Mm-hmm. But I don't think we understand everything, because yeah, no. <laughs> but
1: like we said, that's the beauty of science. You don't want to be studying something where you can understand it all. No, no, that takes the fun out of it.
3: Yes, it's, But it's also so much fun. Like. Just being a bachelor's student or a master's student in the lab, there's so much you can study that no one yeah. else
0: can Yeah, do. there must be like so many different projects that you can like
3: yeah.
0: take on. Yeah. Um, you touched a little bit on histone modifications as well. Is there like anyone really in the field like who really focuses on looking at the relationship of this and histone modifications? And also is there, is there any sort of work done on DNA methylation at all?
2: Um so in terms of histone uh, modifications, there's a couple of groups that have been looking at it. Uh, Ro- Rolver Hark is one who, who's been pioneering a lot of that work. And like I said, it's, at the moment, it's been a bit limited to histone acetylation um, yeah. because they, they, you know that's a, it's a clear marker of an active enhancer. So it makes sense yeah. why, they've, why they've gone after that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the enzymes regulating it, there's a bit less known. Mm-hmm. um hasn't been done so much there's there's some work being done on that in yeast at the moment
4: mm-hmm.
2: um by one of our collaborators uh when you, you mentioned dna methylation there are some connections with circular formation in that some groups have shown that they might be more likely to to arise from cg dense regions um and for for listeners who who don't know much about that the CG dinucleotides, it's the C in that that pair that gets methylated generally. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually looking at that at the moment, we're, we're going into trying to characterize uh, DNA methylation patterns on the circles and mm-hmm. to see how how that differs from the the genomic loci of origin. Yeah, um, Because I would think that there might be less DNA methylation on the circles and that then that could contribute to their higher expression. Yep. Um, as, as you know, DNA methylation is associated with silencing of genes uh, when it's, when it's at CG uh, islands. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that we're definitely working on, but there is very little known about it at the moment. But
0: yeah. the, the more interesting link is probably the um, histone modifications anyway, because the I link think- between histone modifications and Enhancers. I mean, there's someone in my lab who's looking at like sort of trying to decode the sort of link between enhancers and histone modifications. And yeah, um, yeah it's cool stuff. So I think that would be an interesting sort of avenue to.
3: But it's a little bit harder to work with circular DNA because yeah. the circular DNA is probably it seems to be lost in mitosis because it doesn't replicate. Then there's some that does replicate. Then there's some that's not selected for, and then it disappears. So it's not because it's not like uh, genes on chromosomes. It's not like chromosomal DNA. We can't predict how much we have every time we purify cells. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So that also means for many of these techniques, if you if you make chip, uh, you need a lot of DNA or you need yeah. a lot of chromatin. Yeah. And we don't always have that. Um, so right now the most su- one of the most successful ways have been to knock down or knock out uh, genes involved in histone acetylation or methylation mm-hmm. and that, so like right it, yeah same set with yeah one of our collaborators doing that in yeast.
2: I, I think another really interesting point is uh, whether some of the the genes that encode epigenetic regulators could end up on circles and therefore be unregulated in, in cancer for instance, that's, yeah. that's something I'm really interested in looking at as well. Because mm-hmm. at the moment, people have really focused on oncogenes, um, but if you, if you have the overexpression of, of certain epigenetic enzymes, that, that can cause haywire in the genome.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. I feel like there's so many, like we were saying, so many avenues for projects for all, um, all stages, you know, right from undergraduate through mm-hmm. to PhD postdoc and so yeah. much yes. for collaboration as well with all different areas mm-hmm. it's, it's a really interesting diverse topic yeah it's a lot of fun
3: <laughs> like <laughs> yes it's a lot of fun and there's a lot to think about and 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 there's also a lot of like theories and hypotheses we can set up and I think
2: on going on the just building on what you said about collaborations, I mean we mm. we see the potential for circular DNA to be involved in a lot of diseases that could in that that include DNA damage, which is which is quite a lot. Um, so that's that's something we're sort of exploring is is to going into other disease areas uh, with with collaborators and and trying to characterize circular DNA in those those models.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but so generally we are interested in, in kind of understanding the biology of circular DNA and, and we use, yeah as we said, yeast and, and human cells. And uh, we build a lot of technology right now to be able to address the questions we have posed. So just simply a thing like building a circle in a human cell, like having the same circle predictably, something we're doing with groups in Aarhus, Yolong Lu. And 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 having these models, we're building them now so that we can so that we can uh, uh, describe the biology and and understand the link to, to diseases. And then, of course, we screen for for, for circular DNA that might be uh, connected to different diseases, as we said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a broader sense, um, what we learned from cancer, can we use that to understand how genomes involve? And and can we actually? Uh, can we do something
0: about the cancers that carry oncogenes genes and circular DNA? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I like what you said earlier about as well about like potentially using using it as a as a biomarker. Yeah. Um, how difficult do you think that be? I mean, obviously you mentioned about potentially like with blood. It would be well with blood is always the ideal one, really, isn't it? Probably or you know something similar. Um, how easy do you think that is. Are there people working on it? Is it something that you hope to
3: work on? Yeah, it's something that an Indian has worked on, and he's used it for as screening of I think uh, polyploidy in pregnant in in the fetus of pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it could also potentially be used as a marker for early detection of some cancers, but we don't yep. yet know. And we have some funding for that. Um, mm-hmm. And that would be really, really valuable because yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, because there's some to, there's some cancers like pancreatic cancer that has a survival of it eight, eight percent uh, uh, over five years. So that basically means that when you're diagnosed with pancreatic cancers, most people they only have a few months to live in, and that's 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 because we the symptoms are are so weak, and it's only yeah. when it, there and it's. Fatigue, it's uh, lose weight and you uh, have uh, your skin gets yellowish. Mm -hmm. But then, mostly when it's found that you have pancreatic cancer, it's already metastasized and it's too late to make a resection. Yeah. Yeah. So, we would really, really like to. Be able to provide a tool where you could screen for circular DNA yeah. and asthma if that was possible. Mm-hmm. There are also companies uh, looking at this, like there's a company in the United States, and Canada, it's called Grail, and they're not looking at circular DNA, they're just looking at DNA blo- in blood, like cell-free DNA, but not so yeah. many are looking at circular DNA. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: We we think that that circular be really DNA could actually provide a bit of an advantage in that regard because it may actually be more stable, yeah. in yeah. Yeah. Okay. compared to the linear uh, DNA. And what would be really cool is if you can if you can profile the circular DNA in the blood of patients and then see if you can in some ways match that back to the the tumor that it's come from if we can learn about those sort of signatures either epigenetic or, or otherwise i think that would be really useful in the future
0: yeah definitely do you think as well like definitely. It would be um like different for different cancers so for example like would there potentially be like a different you'd see different signatures in
3: different cancers we don't yet know, <laughs> and uh, because we don't even know how the, the yeah we don't yet know, but yeah. uh, we hope so because you have to have specificity. You can't yeah offer, yeah you can't offer a test and say okay uh, you probably have cancer we just don't know where. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> yes. that would cause potentially
1: more harm than good, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah,
2: so I, I think there's there's definitely the potential for that. Because mm-hmm. if you think of uh, what, what Begitta was saying earlier of if, if circular DNA is in some ways connected to you know gene expression in the cell, different cell types have different gene expression profiles and therefore may have different circular DNA profiles if that's one of the main mechanisms
0: mm-hmm.
2: so that's one, one way to consider it. Yeah. They definitely have different epigenetic profiles yep yeah. so whether that mm-hmm. translates onto the mm-hmm. circle and then you know becomes, you know, the circulating circle becomes a proxy for, for what that tumor might look like, then, then I think that can be really useful.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one thing not to confuse people about circular DNA in blood, circular rising circular DNA in blood, it's, it's, not, it's not only gonna be from the, from the double minute, the big circles inside the tumor, it's probably just m- more apoptotic cells uh, because the circular DNA in blood, uh, at least the ones found from data they're mm-hmm. small so they're h- hundreds of base pairs it's not the big ones mm-hmm. so this it's just it will be a signature yeah. Of some kind mm-hmm.
0: yeah well I think this is really like wow. a really exciting work like it's really really cool definitely um so yeah I have like you fun. For, thank you for sharing it with us so yeah my last question would be um if like if I said to you both like you have to pick two findings only like from your whole like career working in this field you can pick like two findings that are your favorite what would they be like your two moments in sort of like your time working in this field that you were like oh my god that is so cool like what what were those those two moments are you struggling can i
3: can i answer first yeah go ahead okay yeah so so the first moment was when I was sitting in uh, David Botstein's office in, in Princeton and the other David, David Gresham was present. And, and uh, I said, I, I don't understand When we have a deletion of this gene. It can't be, it, it must, maybe it's circularized the rest that's deleted. And the one David says, oh no, that can't be. And then the other David says, David Botstein said, let her go home and find out. <laughs> and that's how I found my first circle. It was like because it I just realized, oh this piece of DNA has a replication origin, Wow, if it was like like the point where I started realizing the biology of certain mm-hmm. DNA. I think. And then when we found that circles are really common, that it's a common structural variation. Yeah. Um, I knew you was going to say that one because when you were
0: talking about it earlier, like I literally yeah. could see in your face that you were like getting, so I knew you was going to say that one. <laughs>
3: yeah. No. Yeah. But I think for myself that the, the biggest moment was in that, like yeah. uh, realizing for myself that I, understood something differently from others like this yeah. was my coming new and I say yes. it came from me it was not some yeah. it was it didn't come from others it was not just me jumping onto other people's ideas
0: yeah yeah i can imagine that is like the best the best feeling yeah yeah and then what about you sam
2: um i might actually take a rain check on that question because i <laughs> uh, i'm um haven't been in this particular field for obviously as long as as long as beginner um and i think it would be really cool to get back to you guys in say 12 months and give you a bit of an update on on the projects that we have you know are in their in their yeah. early stages right now Amazing, yeah. Yeah. yeah
3: we'd love that yeah we'd love to come back and tell you more yeah and definitely we, also- we would love to have you back <laughs> maybe also persuaded some of the people that develop the tools in the lab and the work on, on, on DNA in, 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 yeah in that would yeah. be
1: really good really yeah. really good
0: if it's the guys with the t-shirts can they wear them
1: they'll have to wear the t-shirts
0: <laughs> <laughs> they will <laughs> I think we should get
3: t-shirts ellie i don't know why i they think we should them, I, I think will... we have to now yeah, you need to get t-shirts the question is just what should be on it and-
2: I see uh, the, the popularity of your podcast growing so much, you might be able to start to merchandise it a bit.
3: Yeah, yeah sell the t shirt. I not
2: know.
1: <laughs> That'd be amazing. And mugs. <laughs> yeah. We should also.
0: I'm a little bit, dis- little bit disappointed that we don't have mugs at this point. <laughs> yeah. We should
1: definitely make some. You should. They've got t shirts. Yeah.
0: They've got t shirts,
1: and we don't even have a mug. Exactly, <laughs> <disgusting>, isn't it? <laughs> Well
3: got, yeah,
0: oh, like, just one more thing. Like how did the t shirts actually come up? Who bought the t shirts? Whose idea
3: was it? Uh it was the uh, it was Sylvester who came into the lab. So he came from France now and he's been like I think he was it lockdown has been harder in France than here. And I think he just he needed to come to Denmark and take up his um yeah, just be able to work so he was really happy coming back and then he started working with uh with the uh, Jira, who's very very busy and very very uh he's very gifted and but he's also very independent because there's not many work i think he i think he just immediately saw them as the as a pair i also told him you two guys you'll now work together and they fit so well so sylvester came up with a t-shirt and Girao really, really, really happy for the T-shirt. <laughs> so I should say one, one, one of the just to describe the T-shirt. The yeasty guys, there are two types of yeast that studied. There's a pumper. pombo pumpe is a is a skinny e- yeast. So it's uh it's like a a rump. or what do you call this thing? A rod. Maybe? A rod. It's like a rod. So it's not. It's just like a rod. So the rod thing has a cap on. On the T-shirt. As does one of the two. And the other one is this, the beggar cheese that we know from, from wine and, and uh, baking and uh, some of the beers uh, we drink. And it's, it's very, it's always in, so there's a mother cell and the mother cell is, is, is big and the daughter's hair is small, and this is also on the t-shirt, but the big part, you can kind of imagine, that looks like the big part of one of the guys. And (laughs) they have the headphones on, as does the real world uh, person here. I'm not- Sounds uh, great.
1: amazing that's funny that's very funny we'll have to you'll have to send us a photo <laughs> yeah,
3: we will. We'll post it. so we have a tweet yeah, tw- yeah we have a twitter account I- i'm sure we'll post it i promise to post it one day when they both care- have the t-shirt on definitely yeah. post it and we will link your twitter and everyone what? can go and look <laughs>
0: yeah okay so i'm gonna f- finish this up with the last question that we always ask everyone um, well, the two last questions. So the first one is, what are your hopes for the, for the future for your field or what are the next steps for your lab? And then second of all, um, I mean, we just mentioned the Twitter, so we're definitely gonna link that, but is there, um, have you guys got like a website, at all like a lab website or, or any preferred method of, of contact?
3: Yeah, so for the field, uh, I've been a little bit longer in the field than Sam. So I hope that uh, we can still in the future uh, keep having a friendly and understanding attitude, respectful and open towards each other, and, and also towards the, everybody else who's interested in our research, and, and generally everybody who's helping us, and that uh, we can both uh, be creating fundamental understanding of biology and, and its applied uh, uses in medicine and biotechnology and for the i think sam's can do you want to say how people can get in touch with yeah. us if they want to
2: absolutely so we we do have a, a website for our lab and so if you'd like to know more about our research including um the potential for collaborations you can head over to regenberglab.net. Um, and here you can find our indiv- individual contact details and email addresses. So please feel free to reach out to us if you've, if you've got anything you'd like to discuss about circular DNA. Um, we also have a website for the circular vision project, which some people might be interested to look at. And the, the address is circularvision.org. And, uh, and finally, our, our Twitter handle is Regenberg underscore lab.
0: Amazing, so we'll pop all of those in the description so people can just easily click on those links yeah that's great thank you mm-hmm. yeah amazing so yeah i've had so much fun talking to you guys today um really appreciate it. it's it been actually like a really really good episode i've really it has
1: it. yeah i really enjoyed it mm-hmm. so i guess all there's left to say really from us is thank you so much for coming on and sharing your research in such an interesting and um understandable way as well
0: yeah okay. yeah okay. thanks really for well. having us
4: Thanks
2: very much for having us on. It's been great to chat to both of you.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Genomics Lab. That's got a capital G and a capital L. You can actually also find both of us on Instagram at a Genomics PhD and at PhD underscore Ellie.
1: Finally, be sure to subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform and we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you again for listening.